You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Thank you. It is, it is good to be here uh, with you. Fred is a dear friend. Um, we did spend a couple of years together. In fact, I've had multiple friends of ours, a co-friends of ours, text me over the last couple of days to remind me that I'm supposed to tell all my Fred stories and uh, tell all of his issues, but I will not do that. Uh, Fred and I worked down the hall from each other for about three years. We spent time in ministry. More importantly, we were in the same prayer group for about three years. And so there are things that Fred knows about me that, that probably three other people in the world know, uh, maybe, maybe four other people in the world know. Uh, and he's been a dear friend, and you are, you are blessed uh, to get to be with him and, uh, and to serve with him uh, here in, in Williamsburg. It's been great to be here. Never been to Williamsburg before. Uh, we got to go down and see Colonial Williamsburg, and we went out to Bush Gardens the other night. And even though it was freezing, it was beautiful uh, out there at Bush Gardens, and just have really enjoyed uh, being here, there's, there's not enough time to see all the different things, uh, especially historically, to see here in just a few days. Uh, and yesterday I got to spend time over at the Liggins house and to see Ian. I remember holding him in the hospital. And so to be able to see him now that he's four, almost four years old is it, just a lot of fun. If you would, um, let's say a, a quick prayer and, and then we'll, we'll jump into the text. Uh, Father God, I, I ask that you send your spirit uh, this morning into this place, uh, that your spirit may speak 
through the words, the meager words that I say, uh, to, to preach a message into our hearts that comes from you. Uh, get me out of the way, get us out of the way. It's not about us, it's not about uh, the worship leaders, uh, it's about you and what you are doing. Uh, Father, mold us and transform us and change us through your spirit today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. What a sight it must have been to behold. The Israelites were encamped around the mountain. Uh, as they're encamped around the mountain, uh, fire and lightning start coming down upon the mountain. The, the earth is shaking as they're all around the mountain. Smoke is, is kind of wrapping itself around the mountain like, like the smoke of a kiln as it just kind of goes up and up and up and, and up the mountain. Everywhere they look, the ground is shaking, there's thunder, there's lightning. What a sight it must have been to behold. The trumpet starts blasting. And the entire community of Israel starts seeing that that at this mountain, something different is happening. And all of a sudden, they start hearing a voice coming out of the clouds, coming out of the thunder, coming out out of the lightning. And then Moses, their leader, starts speaking back to God. God looks at Moses and he says, Moses, come up the mountain to me. And so as the Israelites stand there and watch, Moses goes up the mountain to spend time with God. Thunder and lightning continue day after day after day. The smoke continues day after day after day. Finally, after weeks, Moses comes back down the mountain. He comes carrying the two stone tablets, the the Ten Commandments. He comes down to to tell the people all that God has taught him. And he comes down changed. His face is glowing because he's been in the presence of God. His skin is literally glowing. Aaron sees it and Aaron says, Moses, what is wrong with your face? And Moses says, everything's okay. And so he stands before the people with his face glowing from the presence of the Lord. And he gives them the commands. And then the text tells us that Moses takes a veil and places it over his face. And every time he would go into the presence of the Lord, into the tent of meeting, he would remove the veil and he would look at God and he would talk face to face with God as a man talks to a man. And he would come out and he would tell the people all that God had told him. And then he would put the veil back over his face. Because his face was radiating from being in the presence of God. Of God. Being in the presence of God changes us. In fact, it's almost impossible to be in the presence of God and not change. One almost has to put forth an effort to be in the presence of God and somehow not be changed by that moment. Now, obviously, there are things that you can do to make that moment more penetrating, to make the the change more effective. But simply spending time in the presence of God with with nothing else going on will change you. It's impossible to be in God's presence and not be changed. And ultimately, that's what the spiritual disciplines are all about. What the desert fathers and mothers learned so long ago when they were out there in the desert all by themselves is that they learned that opening yourself up to God and allowing Him to penetrate your heart and to penetrate your life in an intimate way changes you. The reason that that Fred and the shepherds here and and others are going to lead through spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines over the next year is because they've come to understand that being in the presence of God will change you. And doing things like fasting and prayer and solitude and silence and these things that, that seem so weird, especially in the culture that we're in, where we're plugged in and online every single moment of the day, where there's always media pushing into our lives, getting that stuff out of the way. And spending time with God 
will change you. It's kind of like the picture that's, that's given in Psalm chapter 1. You know, many of the Psalms uh, are just kind of haphazardly thrown in there. There's not really a, a, a structure. You don't really lead from one Psalm into the other. But, but there are a few Psalms that are placed at a specific spot for a reason. And Psalm 1 is one of those. It's an introductory Psalm. It, it was placed at the very beginning of the Psalter in order to say, this is what this whole episode is about. Look at what the Psalmist writes. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like shaft that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Do you see the picture there? This is more than just poetry. It's more than just a a prayer. It's more than just a song. This is the psalmist describing in a way that is beautiful to see what a life lived with God is like. See the picture there. The righteous is not one who sits in the counsel of, of the wicked nor, nor stands in the way of sinners, but the righteous is one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He, he's like a tree planted beside streams of water that, that just yields its fruit and grows year after year after year. It's a beautiful picture. What the psalmist is describing is he's describing a life that's lived out in spiritual disciplines. Now, whether the psalmist would have ever known that word spiritual disciplines or ever used the, the term spiritual practices is probably, it doesn't really matter. But, but what he's describing is that type of life. He's describing the type of life that, that happens when you spend time with God. He's describing a life that's spent in prayer, that's spent in meditation. It's a life that, that doesn't get, get distracted by all the things in the world that are so distracting, but is saying that my most important task is spending time with God and is focusing on God and is living with God. In so many ways, this first psalm is really a contrast between two different types of people. It's a contrast between the righteous person and the wicked person. And while there are different reasons separating them, there's really one big difference between the righteous person and the wicked person in Psalm 1. The righteous person spends time with God and so is blessed. And the wicked person doesn't spend time with God. And so their lives fall apart. I mean, really, when you break it all down to its very simplest core, that's what it's about. To be righteous, according to Psalm 1, to be righteous is one who spends time with God. And if you're you're not spending time with God, you're going to really have a hard time being righteous. Now, here's the danger. Here's the danger with all these spiritual disciplines. And before you, you, you jump into this, this year and this life of spiritual disciplines, you've got to understand the danger. And the danger is, is that if we're not careful, we start thinking that the spiritual disciplines are an end in and of themselves. If we're not careful, we start thinking that, well, just because I'm spending time reading my Bible and I'm spending time in prayer and I fast once a week and I, and I spend time in meditation and, and I give to the poor and I celebrate with the church on Sunday morning, then I've arrived. And I've become super Christian. And once I become super Christian, then I can do whatever I want to do because I'm now super Christian. 
oh, you, you might be nice, but I've, I read my whole Bible in, in a month. You know, that makes me a much better Christian than you. Oh, I, I fasted for 48 hours straight. Um, I didn't even drink water, and it was unhealthy, but it was great. And, and this is what I've done. Or maybe if it's not the pride issue, maybe it, it really can happen just in, in humility. In, in the sense that there may be nothing prideful about it. It may just be the fact that, that we start thinking that that really is all that there is to life. That God really is pleased with us if, if we're just reading our Bibles and praying. Psalm 15, which is, is just a couple pages over there in the Psalter, is an interesting psalm. It probably was a liturgical psalm. It probably was one that was used in temple worship as the people would come towards the temple. And It's a very short psalm, but a very interesting one. As it says, O Lord, who shall live in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right speaks the truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. Who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. You know, the psalmist is, is asking a very simple question at the beginning of this. It's a question that many of us have asked. God, what, what do we really need to do to be saved? It's the same question the rich young ruler asks when, when he comes to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? But it's interesting because the psalmist's question is slightly different than that. What the psalmist is asking is, what is it that, that is a life that God desires? What is it that God wants me to be? How can I determine that I will be on your holy hill? And what's interesting is you look at this list from Psalm 15. There's nothing spiritual or religious about it. He doesn't say go to church every week. He doesn't say read your Bible. He doesn't say pray. He doesn't say spend time in fasting or meditation. He doesn't say be celebratory in life. He doesn't say I have a very simple life. It's not that any of those things are bad. Religious practices aren't bad. Being, being a nice church-going person is not bad. But that's not what he's looking for. See, that what God is looking for is a life that's lived out in honor of him. What, what God is looking for is an ethical life that, that in so many ways it mirrors what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Whose walk is blameless. Who does what is right. Who, who speaks the truth in his heart. Who, who doesn't slander with his tongue. Who does no evil. Who, who so despises wickedness that you can't be around it. Who doesn't even want to give an appearance of wickedness in their life. Who tells the truth even when it hurts and does not change. Whether that's face-to-face conversations or, or whether that's in business dealings. Telling the truth no matter what. Who doesn't put out their money at interest but freely gives. That's the type of life that God desires. See, the danger I think we sometimes fall into is that we start telling people that, that if they're struggling with their lives, that what they need to do is they need to come to church and they need to read their Bible and they need to pray. 
I'm guilty of this myself. I'll, I'll find somebody and I'll talk to somebody and they'll say, you know, life is just falling apart. And I'll say, you know what you really need to do is you really need to spend some time with Jesus. You need to pray. You need to read your Bible. You need to come to church and be encouraged by other people. And we start thinking that those things are what actually is what God desires. That, that what God really desires is, is worship and, and, and prayer and Bible reading. And what we fail to realize is, is that if our worship alone or our prayer alone or our Bible study alone is not enough. It's not enough just to go to worship. It's not enough just to pray. It's, it's not enough just to, to, to spend time reading your Bible. If our worship doesn't lead us to a different lifestyle, then it's in vain. If our Bible reading and our prayer doesn't lead us to a different lifestyle, it's in vain. If you fast and you spend time in solitude, but it doesn't lead to a changed life, then you went on a nice diet plan. But that's really about all you did. Because what God desires is a transformed life. What God desires is a life that's lived out in service to Him. What God desires is for our lives to look so different from everyone else in the world that people say there's something different about you. What God desires is for us to start living out and being witnesses to the coming kingdom that's already here but is not yet completely here. To, to witness to the world that there is a different way to live, there is a different way to act, there is a different way to treat others. God desires us to love our neighbors, all of our neighbors, not just the ones that look like us and that we enjoy being around. God tells us to, to take care of the hurting, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked. God tells us to, to, to be with the person who has no other friends and to be the friend of that person. God tells us to stand up for those who, who don't have a voice, who, who can't stand up for themselves. God calls us to give everything that we have away. To understand that, that what we have is not really ours to begin with. And so just as we've been freely given, we freely give. God calls us to a life of transformation. God calls us to a life that looks different from everything else. That's what God desires. And ultimately, that's what makes the spiritual discipline so meaningful. And why, why these ancient disciplines are such a powerful, transformative thing in our lives today. It's not that prayer and Bible study and fasting are an end of themselves. They're not the goal. The goal is transformed life. The goal is changed life. But what the spiritual disciplines do is they place us in God's presence and allow God to slowly, over time, transform us. It's not an instantaneous thing. It's not a you, you, you fast and then the next day all of a sudden you're, you're a super Christian. It's that slowly over time, day after day, week after week, year after year, God changes us. Moses went up on the mountain and he comes down and his face is glowing. He was in the presence of God and he changed Paul uses this, this analogy when he's talking in 2 Corinthians uh, about the changed life that we have. And, and in 2 Corinthians 3, down near the end of it, in verse 18, listen to what he says. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We, with unveiled faces, behold the glory of the Lord and are transformed from one degree of glory to another.
not all at once, but slowly over time, becoming the person God has called us and desires for us to be. I don't know about you, but that's a life worth living. It's a life worth living to realize that God wants to slowly change us and slowly mold us. I'm so excited for you over this next year. I I was joking with Fred, I wish I could be here with you during this journey. As you open yourselves up to this life-transforming power of God, from one degree of glory to another, and things are going to happen where you may go for two or three months and then all of a sudden something happens and something clicks and you realize God's changing you. And you start seeing things differently and you start seeing people differently and you start loving God differently and you start loving others differently and you start loving each other differently because of the transforming power of God. And your confession times become more powerful. And when you gather around the table, it becomes more powerful. Because God isn't just meeting you here in confession. He's meeting you in your bedrooms and in your workplaces and in your cars as you're spending time in the presence of God. One degree of glory to another. And so ultimately the choice is yours, right? No one's going to force you to grow closer to God. No one's going to force you to be the righteous man who sits beside the waters taking in all that God has. You have the choice. Just like the psalmist said, you have the choice. The righteous or the wicked. Um, I I hope you'll choose the righteous. I hope you'll take this year to immerse yourselves in what God has for you as he slowly changes you from one degree of glory to another. And as we begin that process, maybe the, the best place to begin that process is around the table. Is to to spend some time in confession with each other, whether that's with some of the shepherds who will be up here, whether that's just somebody right beside you. And then to come around the table and to say, God, we meet you here as we hope to meet you every day this year as you slowly change us, one degree of glory to another. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he, the one who changes you, give you peace. Thank you.